you, Father. If you would go with me in the Word of God to 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. And I want to look at verse 1. Hallelujah. From the New Living Translation, it says, Now, Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Amen. Jump over to 1 Kings 19. I want to grab a couple of verses from there, also starting at verse 1. 1 Kings 19 and 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Amen. Now flip over to 2 Kings for me, chapter 1. And I want to start at verse 5. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, why have you returned so soon? They replied, a man came up to us and told us to go back to the king and give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Is there no God in Israel? Why are you sending men to Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, to ask whether you will recover? Therefore, because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. What sort of man was he, the king demanded? What did he look like? They replied, he was a hairy man, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Elijah from Tishbe, the king exclaimed. Then he sent an army captain with 50 soldiers to arrest him. They found him sitting on top of a hill. The captain said to him, man of God, the king has commanded you to come down with us. But Elijah replied to the captain, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and killed them all. Verse 11. So the king sent another captain with 50 men. The captain said to him, man of God, the king demands that you come down at once. Elijah replied, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. And again, the fire of God fell from heaven and killed them all. Once more, the king sent a third captain with 50 men. But this time, the captain went up the hill and fell on his knees before Elijah. He pleaded with him, oh man of God, please spare my life in the lives of these, your 50 servants. See how the fire from heaven came down and destroyed the first two groups. But now please spare my life. 
Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him and don't be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went with him to the king. Amen. The title the Lord gave me to share with you all on today is walking with God. Walking with God. It is estimated that there are about 4,000 religions, faith groups, denominations that exist around the globe. And they typically kind of categorize them into big bucket categories like Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Judaism. But the thing that makes Christianity stand out from the whole pack, the distinguishing factor is that Christianity is based on a relationship and not just the following of some rules or guidelines. Christianity is rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And because it is based on a relationship and not just some rules you can check off, check that, check that, check that, we have to learn how to properly function in that relationship with the Lord. Think of it the way you would a married couple or an engaged couple. Just like they need to go through premarital counseling. Just like they might need a uh, more senior married couple mentoring them. Just like they might go through marriage workshops or seminars or participate in a marriage ministry. So that they learn how to function together as a couple, as a family, as a unit. You can't put a marriage on autopilot and think that it's going to be okay. You also can't put your relationship with the Lord on autopilot and think that it's just going to be what? Okay, right? So we have to learn how to walk with the Lord. Amen? Some of us want the Lord to walk with us. But we have to learn how to walk with him, right, where he's going. I read you several snapshots from the life of the prophet Elijah. Um, this is actually probably one of my favorite uh, persons in the Old Testament, just to be completely honest. And I feel like when I get to heaven, after I see Jesus, the next person I want to see is I want to see Elijah. The Lord has had me study him so much, and I'm like, I, I feel you, I get you, right? That he feels more like a friend than just a character in a story. And he's one of the most well-known prophets in the Old Testament, yet he has no book. There's no book of Elijah. And even if you really think about it, he's in what? He's in 1 Kings 17 through 19, then he pops back up in the first few chapters of 2 Kings, and that's it, until he shows up in the New Testament. But in that short period of what's captured in Scripture, we find a man who walked so with God that the Lord didn't even let him die. A fiery chariot came from heaven caught him up. A man who prepared his successor so well 
that his successor could handle a double portion of his spirit. Was he perfect? No. He was a human just like you and I. But he learned how to walk with God. Amen? And so I think there are some lessons that we can learn from his journey to help us in our own walk with the Lord. Once Elijah released the prophetic word that there would be no dew nor rain until who said so? Until he said so, right? That's a pretty bold move. Amen? He then goes to the brook Cherith, and that's the first stop on his journey I want to look at. The brook Cherith. Cherith literally means a cutting or a separation. And it comes from the Hebrew word for cut off. Okay. There are times in your walk with the Lord that you are going to have to be cut off. You're going to have to be cut off from some situations. You're going to have to be cut off from some circumstances. You're going to have to be cut off from some people. Amen. You might have to be cut off from some places that you used to go, that you used to fellowship, right? And this life of separation is not about something legalistic, right? It's not about you trying to um, keep yourself holy. But what it is, is about in obedience when the Lord is pulling you away from those things that have become a distraction. When the Lord is pulling you away from those things that are fighting him for the throne of your heart. When the Lord is pulling you away from those people who would take you down a road that he didn't intend for you to go. That willingness and that submission of not my will, Lord, but thine be done of being willing to what? To be cut off. Many of us, we don't ever want to be alone. Right? We don't ever want to be by ourselves. We don't ever want the silence. I'm asking a question. How many of you just turn on the TV for background noise? Because we don't want the what? We don't want the, the silence. We don't want the, the quiet, right? We don't want to feel like we're by our... But sometimes the Lord needs you to be by yourself so you can hear what you need to hear. So you can discern what you need to discern. And it not be based on emotion and it not be based on the influence of other people. So sometimes he has to do what? Pull you away with him. Even if you look at the life of Jesus, numerous times he does what? He pulls away. So that he could spend time with the Father. We live in an information overload society. I'm going to age myself here, but you all know television used to go off? When that Star Spangled Banner started playing, that was the cue. It's what? It's about to shut down. Right? They played the Star Spangled Banner, and then that what? Then that color spectrum came up, and that was it. <laughs> Till in the morning. Right? You had a phone at your house, not on your person. 
and before voicemail came, if you weren't there, you what? You just weren't there and they missed you. Now, we walk around like this, phone to the ear, or, or AirPods in the ears. And so many of us, we're what? We're constantly being bombarded by information, not necessarily revelation. But even in, by the brook chair, the Lord was still there. People weren't there, but the Lord was still there. His supernatural provision was what? Still there. He had him by the brook. He could drink the water from there. And the Lord had ravens come and bring him what? Food in the morning and food at night. God is not calling you away to forsake you. He calls us into those quiet places, those intimate places to sustain you, to feed your soul and your spirit man and not just your flesh. Amen? This isn't a permanent place. He didn't stay by the brook chairs forever, but there are those moments, those times in our lives that the Lord needs us to what? To come away with him. And when it was time for him to move, the Lord what? Let him know it's time to what? It's time to move. It's time to shift. And one of the ways the Lord let him know it was time to shift is the what? The provision dried up. Some of us are still trying to abide in places where the provision has dried up. Because you're comfortable. Because it's familiar. Right? But the Lord is saying what? Shift. Shift with me. But Lord, I know the spot. I know this job. I know how to function here. I know these devils. But the Lord is saying, shift. Move with me. And you're still warring. And you're still battling in a place you're not even supposed to be anymore. Because the Lord is saying, shift. We have to walk with him. And when he says move, you move. You don't argue with him. You don't debate with him. You don't make your case with him. When he says move, you what? You move. That's what he was teaching the children of Israel going through the wilderness. That was not their permanent home. It was learn how to what? Walk with me. When you see that cloud moving, do what? Move. When the cloud stops, you do what? Stop. Don't you, oh, I'm going to get ahead of the cloud. No, you're going the wrong way. Two people can't drive the car at the same time. The Lord trying to drive, you fighting him for the wheel. Right? When he says shift, we have to do what? We have to shift. And so the next place that the Lord shifts him to is to Zarephath. Zarephath is a place of refinement. It literally means a smelting shop. 
where you refine and smelt metals. In other words, you do what? You melt the metal down so you can make it into what you want it to be. Amen? Zarephath is that place of purification by fire. Some of you in this room are in a Zarephath right now. It's here that God had to prepare Elijah for what he was about to do next. Now, you don't just wake up one morning and be like, you know, I think I'm going to call fire down from heaven today. I think that's, I'm going to try it. This is C. There's a process to get to that place of faith and walk with the Lord that you can call prayer, short prayer, call fire down and it will, and it come. So it's at Zarephath that he has to live by faith every day. Trusting that the cruise of oil is not going to run out and the meal is not going to run out. And that every morning when y'all go to look, what you need is actually going to be there. And some of you have been, um, you feel being attacked in your provisions, but the Lord is actually trying to get you to the place of, trust me that I'm going to give you everything that you need. And you're not going to have to hook for it. You're not going to have to crook for it. You're not going to have to compromise for it. You're not going to have to tap dance to people for it. But you're going to look to me, not as your resource, but as your source. Zarephath. At Zarephath, he got to practice working miracles. Why? He needed one. The lady's son died. So it's at Zarephath that he learns to what? To raise the dead. It's at Zarephath that he's prepared for the encounter that he's going to have next. Some of us are trying to skip Zarephath. Lord, can we just like skip five steps ahead and I have to go through the hard parts? The problem with that plan is if you skip, you miss. You miss what you were supposed to learn in the hard parts. You miss the exercising of your faith muscles and that increase in your ability to believe God. You miss that stretching of your person and that fortifying of your character that you won't compromise. You miss the development that you need so that you can walk in high places with the Lord and not fall. See, in, in the body of Christ, we have this tendency to be enamored with people's giftings. But gifts and the anointing are different. Gifts and calling come without repentance. The anointing comes from spending time with God. So just because someone is gifted does not necessarily mean that they are walking in right relationship with the Lord. Salah. But we have to learn how to allow God to deal with us about those things that we need to be dealt with about. He's not picking on you. He's preparing you. He's making you ready. He's equipping you. Because if you're petty with your tongue, 
you're going to be petty with his people. If your ambition is to please people, you're going to compromise when it comes down to it. If money is your God, you're going to ultimately betray Jehovah so that you can go after dollars. So he's working on your character, not to hold you back, not to deny you, but to what? Make you ready to do even greater things. And the enemy would rather seduce us into running after a platform instead of running after the Lord Most High. Hallelujah. Zarephath the spiritual boot camp. It's where you learn how to pray. It's where you learn how to intercede. Everybody wants to be a great spiritual warrior, but nobody don't want a war. That don't happen like that. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a demon chaser. I rebuke them. Well, you got to fight them first. That's how it works. Oh, I would have called fire down first. You got to know the word first. I want to heal the sick and raise the dead. Yeah, you got to have your faith built first. We don't just spring forth. Oh, I'm in the fullness of my ministry. No, you're not. Go sit down. You got to let him kill pride first. So you're not performing for people. I love the people of God, but here's something I've learned. They're fickle. They will love you today. And you do something they don't like. And they will be there exactly yelling, crucify them. Amen. After Zarephath, after Zarephath, for the bulk of three and a half years, he then goes to Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is a place of victory. But before the victory, there's the confrontation. So at, on Mount Carmel is where both of those things happen. Confrontation and victory. Carmel literally means a vineyard or an orchard or a garden. And it's, it's, it's not just one mountain. It's literally a mountain range, right? And it's about 1,700 feet above sea level, to give you an idea of the height. But it's the place of God-directed confrontation. Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. God-directed confrontation. This is not you deciding, oh, let me get them together. You done tried the wrong one. 
This is not you straightening people out based on your own personal feelings, biases, experiences. This is not you being this fiery, vengeful Christian causing offense and hurt throughout the body of Christ. This is not you being petty on social media, responding to everything negative that somebody says to you. This is not you calling people out for the sake of making yourself look better. This is God-directed confrontation. Elijah did not send himself to confront Ahab. The Lord told him to go and confront Ahab and the prophets of Baal. And the purpose of it was to take the people back to the pure worship of God. This was not two egos battling it out over social media. He was confronting religious compromise. Look at the question he asked the people. How long will you halt between two opinions? In other words, how long will you try and mix and mangle the worship of God with the worship of Baal? See, God is very strategic in everything that he does. None of it was haphazard. None of it was by stance. There's a reason the Lord stopped the rain. Baal was considered the God of rain. So the Lord stopped the rain to already show. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. God, Jehovah is already showing what? I'm far greater than this Baal y'all been trying to serve. Because y'all been praying to him for rain and he can't do nothing. Amen? So some days they wanted Yahweh. Some days they wanted Baal. Why did they want Baal? Well, temple worship for Baal involved prostitution and other sensual forms of worship. Worship of Baal involved human sacrifice, especially children because he was considered the God of fertility as well as the God of rain. In other words, worship of Baal satisfied their fleshly desires. And God was trying to grow their spiritual hearts and desires for him. Now, Paul even elucidates this in the New Testament that what? That warring of flesh against spirit. And the one who's going to win is the one who gets fed the most. So if you feed flesh, then who's going to be stronger? Flesh is. But if you feed spirit, then who's going to be stronger? Then spirit is as it relates to what? The dominion of your soul. And we don't get to one day I'm spiritual, but the next day... I'm doing my thing. It doesn't work that way because we serve a jealous God. And he has already said that he would not, he would not tolerate that lukewarmness of trying to mix him with other things. Now, for some of you that seems real, well, who will worship an idol? Okay, well, idols can come in a lot of different forms. Idols can come in the form of people who you do whatever they tell you to do. 
Idols can come in the form of political affiliations or even the government. It can be your technology. It can be your entertainment. It can be seeking after fame. It can be money. All of those things can manifest themselves as what? As idols in our lives. The goal of Mount Carmel was not a spectacle or a show, but a transformation of the people of God. Everybody wants the Mount Carmel moments, but we have to understand the Mount Carmel purpose. It was about what? Confronting the people of God to bring them back to God, not to beat them up with judgment that they couldn't see their way back. It's mighty quiet in here. Hallelujah. Now, I read you the passage where after Elijah has had this amazing moment, where he literally called fire down from heaven. And if you read that particular passage, because he had them pour gallons of water on the altar that he had created, the fire is of such a heat that it consumes the sacrifice, the altar, the water, and even the stones that made up the altar. Now, if you, if you research it, the amount of heat that they believe would have had to have fallen to do that is almost like the equivalent of what the sun gives off. Because you're now you're talking about melting stone. And some scientists believe that it was probably a bolt of lightning that came down and hit it. However God chose to do it, he did it. And he settled the question of who, because they had agreed, the God that answers by fire. And he settled the matter in that moment. And he used his servant to do it. How many of you ever had God just show up and use you in a way that amazed you? It was like, oh, wow, God. I, I. And right on the heels of those Mount Carmel type moments, here come Jezebel. Now, the interesting thing is she, he wasn't in her presence. She sent a message saying, by this time tomorrow. And the prophet of God who just called fire down from heaven was so afraid, he ran for his life. Because of one thing one woman said. Amen? You're not going to always be on the mountaintop. As, just as a part of being human, there are going to be those moments where you're going to be like, God, what, what? Really, just what? What is it? What's, what's going on? I've done everything you said to do. I endured hiding out for three and a half years with everybody looking for me and living day by day by faith. I've completed my assignment. I killed all those prophets. Think about it. Killing 850 people is not exactly a little short task. I killed them all. I did what you said to do, God. And my life's still on the line. I still got people trying to kill me. 
I still have people trying to besmirch my name. I'm still under attacks. God, what? And so he, he goes from there and he goes to a place called Beersheba. Now, Beersheba is mentioned even all the way back in the book of Genesis as it's the place where Abraham made a treaty with Abimelech. And you all maybe remember the story. Abraham was traveling. Sarah apparently was pretty gorgeous, right? Abimelech saw her, tried to take her. The Lord started punishing his whole household. The Lord told him in a dream, what, give her back. Right? You know, Abraham handled that shady, give her back. Because he's still my prophet, okay? So he gives her back, and they go on to make this treaty. Now, Bathsheba actually means the well of the seven or the well of the treaty. And it's because that's where they made their treaty. And Abraham gave seven lambs as a part of that treaty. So that's where the name comes from. But it's the place where the tribes of Simeon and, and, and Judah decided to take their inheritance. Beersheba is the place where we encounter God. Isaac and Jacob both had dreams of God at Beersheba. And that's in Genesis 46 and 2. Hagar encounters God at Beersheba in Genesis 21 and 17. And then we have here Elijah encountering God at Beersheba in 1 Kings 19 and 5. Sometimes it's on the heel of a disappointment. Sometimes it's when your heart is broken and your strength is weary and your mind is confused and you don't know what to do, where to look, where to turn. That it's in those places where you've exhausted you that you encounter God. That he meets you right in your place of need. He meets you right when you're like, I just don't know if I can take it another day. And he shows up in the night watches. See, at your high point or your low point, God is still there. He's with you on those mountaintop experiences, but he's also with you when you're in the wilderness or when you're in the valley. Because he doesn't, we sang it earlier, but do you really believe it? He does not forsake you. He does not decide, oh, they ain't doing what I want them to do. I'm going to kick them to the curb. He does not throw you away. But if in that place of need, if in that place of desperation, if in that place of exhaustion, if we learn to look to him and not try to medicate our pain, with sin or fleshly desire, if we will choose to God, I don't know what to do, but I'm looking to you, mighty God. He will meet us in that place 
of our need and he will show himself strong on our behalf. In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of heartache and heartbreak and when the people you thought had your back stab you in said back. When you feel utterly forsaken and nobody gets it, nobody understands, nobody can feel the pain that I'm enduring in this moment and I'm trying to paste a smile on my face and walk up in this church and act like everything is okay and then I get in my car and I speed out the parking lot before the tears can start streaming down my face because I don't know what's going on in my life at this moment but I know I'm in pain and I know that I'm suffering and I can't get me out of this. I don't know the answer of what it is that I need to do but you know the one who does and it's in those moments that if you cry out to him it's in those moments if you reach out to him one of the most powerful prayers I ever prayed I said God help because I need to know what else to pray and I didn't have the words for anything else. But all I knew was I needed him. He'll show up. He will show up. He will show up every time. He will meet you at that place of Beersheba. If you, you can lay your head in his lap, you can rest your head upon his chest and be renewed and revived and sustained. He will catch you. In those places, when you're disappointed in yourself, because you ran instead of standing your ground. When you're disappointed in yourself because you made a bad decision, he's still there. He's still there waiting to catch you. When Elijah leaves Beersheba, the Lord comforted him, but he didn't get the answer he was looking for. Anybody here ever had that happen? Right? I'll, I'll, I'll take that a step further. Any of you, you have been received, how many of you have received prophetic ministry before, like personal ministry? Okay. And they talking about a lot of stuff and you're like, that ain't what I want to hear about. I ain't asked the Lord about none of that. Get to the thing I need to answer about. And then they smile at you, big. God bless you. Lord, let me fix my face because people are looking at me. But that was nothing I've been asking the Lord about. But that's what he wanted to talk to you about. So he comforted him at Beersheba. He had the angel feed him at Beersheba, but he didn't give him no answer. He had to go, what, a little further to get an answer. And he goes to Mount Horeb. The first reference to Horeb is actually in Exodus 3 and 1. Bible scholars, you know what happened there? Mount Horeb is where Moses encountered God at the burning bush. And it's, Horb is referred to literally as the mountain of God. It's a holy place. It's the place of God's manifested presence where he allows his glory to be seen and he sets us apart with a moment with him for his 
pleasure. It is a place of divine encounter and renewal of covenant relationship. See, some of us stopped when we didn't get the answer that we wanted. Instead of continuing to what? Pursue him. To have that encounter with him. And it's in that place on Mount Horeb that not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in a still, small voice. And the Lord asked him the same question twice. What are you doing here? See, and Isaiah understood this. When you encounter God, not only do you see him, you see you. That's why he said, oh, wretched man that I am. Because when you come into the presence of pure holiness, there's no way that you can't be hit by your what? Your carnalness. And the Lord asked him a simple question. What are you doing here? And he gives his long heartfelt spiel. Right? Oh, I did what you told me to and I did this and I did that and they still hunt for me and I'm the only one. Still serving you. I'm the only one, Lord. Still prophesying. I'm the only one. Still proclaiming your name. I love the Lord. And I think he has a sense of humor. Like I'm pretty convinced he has a sense of humor. And sometimes he'll meet you in that still small voice, Elder Devon. And then he'll punch you in the chest. And you'll be like, oh. And the interesting thing to me about that encounter is the Lord does not address any of his concerns. He don't, ex- he don't say, well, I'm not going to let Jezebel get you. You safe. Okay, this is why I allowed that to happen. The Lord don't do none of that. In fact, he kind of act like he didn't really hear what he said until the end. And so he says, mm-hmm, yeah. So the next assignment is, Right? Anoint Haziel, anoint Jehu, and anoint Elisha. And Elijah probably felt like, okay. And the Lord said, by the way, I got 7,000 that have not bowed to Baal. So in other words, let me straighten you out, little fella. You're not the only one. You're not Jesus Jr. The salvation of the world is not dependent upon you alone. Because the Lord always has a remnant. Always. And they're not the backup plan. They're part of what? His 
plan. He always has a remnant. So don't let the enemy get you into this thing. I'm the only one holding up the standard of righteousness. And I'm the only one who know how to pray. And I'm the only one who really hearing what the Lord's saying right now. No, he has 7,000 today that have not bowed to Baal. That's that what? That's that, that punch in the chest. Like, let me get your perspective back right on who you're dealing with. God wants to give you divine encounters with him. He wants to talk to you about what your next is. Many times we go into prayer with our list. And I know there are different types of intercessors, right? And list intercessors is a type of intercessor. And that's a very valid ministry. But you still have to reserve time to hear. And not take up the whole conversation because that's what prayer is. A conversation. And a conversation should be what? Two ways. And not just you telling God all your troubles and then you get up and you come out of prayer. But you never gave him a chance to meet you. You never gave him a chance to spend time with you. My approach to prayer is this. Lord, what do you want to do today? And then I want to do what he wants to do. You want me to worship? I'll worship. You want me to praise? I'll praise. You want me to intercede for a list of things? I will intercede. You want me to war? I will war. But it's my time with him. So I want him to direct what that time looks like, not me come to that time with my agenda. And then I miss his agenda. And some of us are wondering, well, why I don't have them divine encounters with the Lord like that? And he don't lay me out like that, and I don't see visions and dreams. And I, maybe you're not giving him space to do that with you. You got him on a time clock. Okay, Lord, two more minutes and I got to go. As opposed to what? Abiding in his presence that he can do what he wants to do. He can give you that moment, that life-changing moment with him and you be transformed in the midst of it. If you ever bump into God's divine presence. You don't leave it the same. You don't. And it becomes a memorial in your life. I encountered God there. Right? I had that experience. That's what Mount Horeb became. It became a, a memorial of this is where I met God face to face. This is where I encountered his presence. And my life was transformed. This is where I heard his voice. And I know I got his instructions. And I can now what, walk that out. Amen. You will have different moments in your life where you will be in each of the five places that I just described. You'll have those moments of divine encounter if you allow it. You'll have those moments when you're 
at Beersheba, you will have those Mount Carmel moments of God using you mightily. But you will also have those Zarephath moments. Amen? You'll have those Brooke Cherith moments. All of that is designed to teach us how to, how to walk with him, how to move with him, how to sway with him. Because the last type of moment I want to talk about is actually in 2 Kings. You all chuckled a little bit when I read this story. Because after chapter 19, we don't see Elijah again until we get into 2 Kings. And he's told by the Lord to rebuke King Ahaziah because of his seeking an idol to find out about what was going to happen with his health. And Elijah is sent to once again rebuke a king, which is not an easy task. And so the king sends 51 people, 5-1, five, 51 people to get one prophet of God. And instead of running in fear, like he did when the message was sent that Jezebel was going to get him, he sits on a hilltop and he declares twice, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Fire falls twice and literally kills 102 people. Now note, he did not say, if I be Elijah. He didn't say, if I be from Tishbe and Gilead. He didn't say, if I be the prophet from Mount Carmel. He didn't say, if I be the head of a prophetic school. He said, if I be a man of God. He understood that his authority came from his relationship with God. Not from him, not from his background, not from who he knew, not from anything he had done in the past, not from any personal accolades or, or accreditations or skills or degrees or anything that he had. He understood his authority came from his what? Him knowing him knowing God. His authority wasn't because he was perfect. He'd already displayed that he was. That he wasn't. His authority didn't come because he'd always followed the rules. It was because he learned to walk with God. On the hilltop, that place, that place where we begin to understand our authority and our relationship, with the Lord. He understands it and he is then able to what? To exercise it. Some of you are on, why don't people treat me like this? And why don't people treat me like You don't know who you are. That's why they don't know who you are. Once Elijah understood and he called fire down from heaven twice, Let's look at the third captain. Oh, man of God. Please. Because Elijah recognized he was a man of God. 
The third captain had to do it, recognize that he was a man of God. You don't have to make a name for you. You don't have to jockey for positions or seek titles. You don't have to compete with anybody else and you don't have to tear anybody down so you can feel better about you. All you got to do is pursue God. Pursue God. And if it's a position you're supposed to have in his timing, he'll what? He'll put you in place for that. Amen? So now I want to close with three principles for learning how to walk with God the way Elijah did. Three things to remember very quickly. One, transformation is a process. He had to learn how to walk with God. There are going to be low points in the process. Tell your neighbor, there are going to be low points in the process. Right? Like when he ran from Jezebel and asked God to take his life. There are also going to be high points in the process. Tell your neighbor that too. There will be high points in the process. Like when he called fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel. There will be lonely places in the process. Tell them that too because they try not to remember. There will be lonely places in the process. Like when he was at the Brook Cherith. But there will be supernatural provision in the process. Tell them that. There will be supernatural provision in the process. Like when he was at what? At Zarephath. The thing to remember is wherever you are in the process, he had to learn to press into God. He had to learn whatever God was trying to teach him in that moment. The key to not having to repeat lessons is to learn whatever God is trying to teach you in that moment. Because if you don't get it the first time, just like they do you in school, where they make you repeat that grade and then you embarrass because you sitting in the fifth grade class, you're supposed to be in the sixth grade class, he will make you what? Go back through it again because you didn't learn what you were supposed to learn in that moment. And then be willing to keep going. Because it's a what? A process. Be willing to keep walking with the, the and the I've told you all this before, it is very seldom a straight line. I know we want it to be, but it's seldom a straight line. He may have you go over here to get something, to go over here to learn something else, to go over here to learn something else, to go over here to learn something else. But if you keep going, guess what? You're getting higher. But you got to keep going in the process. The second thing is God doesn't desire to lead you by pain. But he will if he has to. Do I need to say that again? God doesn't desire to lead you by pain, but he will if he has to. Go with me to Psalms 32, because somebody think I'm making that up. Psalms 32, verses 8 and 9. In the New Living Translation, it says, 
The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Verse 9, do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. I'm going to read it again in the Passion Translation. I hear the Lord saying, I will stay close to you, instructing and guiding you along the pathway for your life. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn when I take you where you've not been before. Don't make me tug you and pull you along. Just come with me. That's what the word says. See, a bit and a bridle, a bit is actually a, a metal bar that they put in a horse or a mule's mouth. It's a part of their head stall or headgear and has straps over it. And of course, those lead to the reins that the rider is actually controlling. And so the way the rider controls which direction the horse goes, they pull on the reins and it, the bit in the horse's mouth puts pressure on the horse. It makes the horse uncomfortable to go a different way than where the rider wants it to go. It causes, okay, it causes the horse what? Pain to go against the direction that the rider is wanting it to go, right? So horses and mules have to be held on a tight rein to let them know the rider is in control and guiding them a particular way. Sheep don't wear headgear. Sheep don't have no bit or bridle. Sheep follow a voice. They know their shepherd's voice. And when he calls, they just what? They come on because the shepherd called. That's how the Lord wants us to follow him, that we just hearken unto his what? His voice, his instructions, his guidance, and not, I got to fall off a cliff to learn that wasn't the way the Lord wanted me to go. Then we're battered and bruised and mad at God. Why you let this happen to me? Well, I sent... Two pastors, three prophets, and an apostle tell you not to do that. But you decided, I'm leaping off this cliff, and the Lord going to catch me. He's like, I'm, okay, come on, climb on back up. I'm going to help you climb up. I'm going to help you get it back again. And I go back to the road I told you to take. Right? So we don't want to have to hit a brick wall every time to learn that that's what? That's not the way God is sending me. We want to hearken unto his voice. Right? And dare I say, not your made up version of his voice. Because there's a lot of people running around saying, the Lord said, and it's like, ain't no way in the world the Lord said that. That don't even line up with scripture. When we resist God's authority, we punish ourselves. 
For those of you who need another scripture to support that, Proverbs 13 and 15. It says, the way of the unfaithful is hard. I don't know about you. I don't want my way to be hard. I'm going to be honest with you. Even as a kid, I didn't like getting a beat. Now, if you enjoyed it or whatever, that's, that's your thing. I, I didn't like being hit. I didn't like being yelled at. So my mother would say, I'd be like, just talk to me. What do you need me to do? Done. Gotcha. Don't do that no more. Cool. No problem. Them belts, switches, extend. No, I can, I can comprehend without having to get a bunch of weps and brutes. I can understand. Talk to me. And I, that, if I didn't do it, that mean I didn't hear you. Tell me one more time. Now, okay, I got it. But put that, put them switches away, put them belts away, but no, no. And, and to send somebody to get their own switch, that's psychological torture. I don't care how y'all try and smooth that over. That is psychological torture. And, and my mom was good for, no, bring back three switches because she was going to braid them together. Okay, and dare I say, the tips of them switches never quite stayed together. So you was getting three stings each time. No, talk to me. Be in the house by the time streetlight come on, you got it. Not a problem. I'll do you one better. I'll come in early. You don't want to have to be led by what? By beatings. You don't want to be led by suffering. You want to be led by his voice. And lastly, the journey is for your perfection. We have to remember that. I'm not going through all this for nothing. The journey is for your perfection. Psalms 138 and 8. In the King James, it says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. The English Standard Version says it this way, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Most of us, when we read this, we tend to think in terms of God perfecting our circumstances. We want God to fix everything in our lives, make everything right, make everything smooth, make everything comfortable. But he wants to perfect you. And a better translation of that word perfect would be to mature you. I like it the way the Message Bible says that same verse. It says, finish what you started in me, God. Your love is eternal. Don't quit on me now. We are the works of his hands. He's constantly smoothing, shaping, making, and 
molding like a potter, right? With a vessel on a potter's wheel. And he has his image of us in his mind because that's what he created us in the earth to do. And so he's smoothing, he's shaping, he's making, he's molding because he's trying to get us to that image that he had in mind when he put us into the earth. You came with a purpose. There was a purpose, and then he what crafted you to fulfill said purpose and put you in the earth. But we have to yield to that making and molding process. And sometimes we get caught up in the midst of the worship, and we get caught up in the midst of the music, and we say things like, Lord, make me, shake me, mold me. And then when he starts doing it, whoa! Wait a minute, I ain't asked for all this. But you told him, make me, shape me, mold me. I remember one time I was, <laughs> I was in the service and the Lord, he said, I heard it just as clear. He said to me, ask me what you want. And I was like, oh. And Holy Spirit said something. I was like, what? That wasn't my answer. <laughs> that wasn't what I was, I was, I needed a minute to think. But Holy Spirit knew what I needed. And so he answered the Father. I was like, that's how this works. I was about to ask for some big stuff too. But the Holy Spirit asked for something about my character. About my heart. See, y'all would have been asking for Rolls Royces and million dollar houses and promotions on jobs and businesses. And, and none of those are bad things. But what does the Lord want to give you right now? We have to yield to his process. Just like a child has to learn how to walk, we have to learn how to walk with God. And if we're walking with him, he gets to determine the path. He gets to determine the direction. We have to receive his instruction and his guidance, not like a horse, not like a mule, but like a mature son or daughter, hearkening unto our father's voice. You can't make your own way in this world. Not and not have it cost you heavily. We have to learn to walk with the Lord. Move when he moves. Be focused on what he wants us focused on. Trying to accomplish what? What he wants us to accomplish. I'm going to ask a question. How many of you know your assignment for 2024? No, for real. How many of you know your assignment? Not, well, I kind of sort of know the Lord want me to focus on. No, no, no. Do you know your assignment that by December 31 of this year, what has, does the Lord want you to have done? What areas of your life is he focused on? Is he working on this year? What aspect of your character is he trying to show? Where are you in the journey? Is this your Mount Carmel experience year? Or is this your Bathsheba experience year? Or is this your hilltop year? 
where you come into the fullness of the awareness and understanding of who you are in Christ Jesus. What's on God's agenda for you this year? You gonna wait to June to ask him? Right? January almost over. You done lost a whole month. This is not the year to roam aimlessly. I'm telling you this prophetically. This is not the year to roam aimlessly. And this year we need to be very targeted and very focused on what the Lord has for us to do. And there are going to be a lot of things going on around you. And you don't need to be distracted by them. And that's why you need to be very targeted and very focused on what the Lord has for you to do. Amen? And I know there's been a lot of prophetic words that have been released, even about the Lord uncovering and revealing things this year. But that's not for you to rejoice in anybody's downfall. Because even that is his mercy. See, when God uncovers, and he never rebukes openly if he has not already rebuked privately. But when God uncovers, it's to bring you back to him. So we don't need to, what, rejoice in anybody's struggle. And we don't need to spread knowledge unless you have fallen on your knees and cried out to God for them and interceded on their behalf as though it was you. Don't lend your voice to the noise. But let your voice be lifted in prayer. What does God want to do in you, through you, and for you this year? I want everyone standing.